0: welcome everybody to three wide in the middle your home for all things wasting with me thomas brandon and usually my man keith bradley uh, keith is not with me today um, he is out he's sick he's actually battling a sore throat which can be a little bit of a problem when you got to talk on a podcast so he's not going to be here today but We're going to continue on because we've gone so long without a podcast because of everything that's been happening. I'll fill you guys in on that stuff here um, in just a minute, but we got a couple of things we're going to cover today. Obviously, the big weekend of racing, which was uh Daytona. We got the Daytona 500 um, the truck race, which I've got a new segment um in the pod that we're gonna be covering the truck race in called the uh, loud pedal sound off, which is you guys are gonna learn more about here in just a bit. And then obviously Austin Hill's three peat of the Daytona season opener, uh, with his third in a row. So hats off to him. We also got some news with the uh rta um, and their meeting that they had where they invited nascar nascar of course declined to show up and uh, what this means with them bringing in a lawyer and this is not just some you know scrub lawyer off the street this guy is a heavy hitter so what is that going to mean for the teams for nascar for this whole agreement moving forward so we got a couple of in- Couple of things to cover. Plus, we obviously got our dirt track recap as we've had some dirt racing, which has been completely awesome. Uh, I know I've been enjoying it because after we saw, uh, you know, the fuel saving Olympics at Daytona, uh, it was nice to actually see some guys get out there and rip it up. So, all of that coming up on today's episode. So, stick around. Alright you guys, so before I dive into the open, which is going to be kind of my overall thoughts on what we saw at Daytona, uh, kind of a quick update, so Keith and I, it's been a few weeks um, since we had our last pod, and we we were supposed to be back to every week um, before this, uh, like two weeks ago, and it's been just crazy for both of us, Uh, it's been nuts, so um, Keith was, they were sick and then, uh, he had been, he had had work. We missed one week. Um, I have had so many things going on. It's been crazy. So we had these massive storms that rolled through here in California. as no doubt. Most of you have been hit by them over the last couple of weeks as they've been moving, <laughs> moving their way eastward across the country. But we, um, got pounded. Uh, we lost power for a couple of days. Um, and then what happened was is my PC started acting up and it was just giving me all kinds of problems. Uh, I finally got the damn thing going again, figured out what was wrong with it. It was something so stupid. Uh, figured out what was wrong with it, got it all working again, everything's fine, and then we've got this remodel going on in the house. And out here in the great state of California, no no window that is installed into a bedroom can be higher at the bottom, at the bottom of the window, can be higher than 44 inches. Now, you might be thinking, well, Tommy, that's kind of crazy. You mean that your, your room, your office doesn't have a window? No, no, no. There was a previous window already installed when the house was built 60 years ago. Of course, that window is not up to today's code, today's standards, and you can't just replace it. All right. It's not like you can just be like, well, hey, that's got a, a four by three window in it. and I'll just put a new four by three window. in it. No, no, no. That's not, that's not the case. All right. Because my office all right, is basically just an empty bedroom. We have to have it up to the code. And so that meant that we needed to drop the bottom of the window down by like. Four inches or something like that, four or six inches. Well, of course, that puts the window now into custom size. Okay, because there's, you can't get a four foot wide window by three foot, four inch tall window, right? It's either like a four by three or a four by four. Like that's how they come. There's, unless you want to have stuff custom made, which is way more expensive and also just a pain in the ass. So we had to go to a bigger window. Going to a bigger window is not simple. You got to cut out a bigger part of the wall. You got to, the outside is stucco. It's got to be framed. It's all this work. So my office was torn apart for a week, like a a full week. I had a full week where I was not getting any work done on the computer. My entire office was torn apart. I couldn't even get to my PC because I had to move everything away from the wall. Because of course, all my stuff was on that wall. So just been chaos. Finally got everything back up and going got the pod this week. And of course, my man Keith is um, out sick. So that's kind of the the quick catch up on what's been going on. So anyways, let's dive into my thoughts on the race that is the Daytona 500 and the super speedway spectacle in NASCAR, you guys, it's no secret that the the heart pounding, adrenaline pumping race that we used to know where, you know, every lap felt like a chess match at 200 miles per hour has basically morphed into something less recognizable. As remember, the days when the Daytona 500 was like the final act of a great drama, unpredictable until the very last second, it seemed Like those days have become just a memory and has been replaced but by only can be described as essentially pace laps at 175 miles per hour. This is what we saw drivers cruising around literally at like 20-30% throttle for 80% of the race. Now, let's look at this because I always try to do analogies and stuff like that. Consider the world of Major League Baseball. Post analytics. You guys remember the whole money ball thing? And what did we see? We saw sabermetrics. It changed the face of the game. It led to strategies that were statistically sound, but it basically sucked the excitement out of the baseball field. You know, the shifts. It looked like a co-ed softball game, right? Dominated by strikeouts and runs that were so rare, they might as well have been in a freaking endangered species. Right. The the actual excitement of baseball, stolen bases, hit and run strategy, the simple joy of just putting the ball in play, just making contact with the ball was gone. It had been basically reduced for a formula. Right. You look at hitters like Tony Gwynn, Hall of Famers. They would have been discarded in the baseball that we saw with set with Sabre metrics. Right. Which is just ridiculous. And in NASCAR, we were witnessing a similar phenomenon, the strategy of fuel conservation, the reluctance to make a move until the final laps of the stage or the race itself, the drafting that feels more like a Sunday drive than a high stakes race. And that is the essence of what made super speedway racing exciting and a cornerstone of NASCAR. And it has been lost to more cautions and this calculated approach. Right, and you guys, it's it, this is not just like me sounding off. Right, voices from within the sport, drivers, teams, and especially other fans have been clear. Right, they, we all miss the excitement, the unpredictability, the sheer spectacle that used to define these races. Right, remember seeing Dale Earnhardt come from the you know 18th to first at Talladega. Right, that, that those days are gone they're gone. And even when they're not fuel saving and they are racing, a lot of times it's gridlock. You can't make moves. And if you do, you have to just bump and shove and push. And you see cars wrecking and spinning. It's just chaos. And if there is one thing that we have learned from watching sports evolve, it's that adaptation and innovation are necessary, but it's We cannot lose sight of what made it great in the first place. That has been the one thing that I have always harped on. Don't cut out your base. Don't forget about those who made you what you are. We saw this happen with NASCAR and the COT and all the other bullshit that came along with it, right? And it's finally, you know, years later, it's finally, we're starting to see this resurgence and this comeback and it's great. And now NASCAR is literally standing at a crossroads. Once again, the Daytona 500, the crown jewel in the NASCAR, it risks becoming just another race because if the thrill of the super speedway is not revitalized, that is what it will be. Obviously, because of its history, it'll always be the Daytona 500 but it's not going to mean what it has meant before. And here's the deal, you guys. I know there's people out there, that are saying do this and do that. You know, uh, uh, add, add more stages or make the stages bigger or make it to where they got a pit no matter what. You guys, the solution isn't simple. And it's not likely to be universally popular as we've seen with all decisions made. But it's necessary. There is a change that needs to be made or multiple changes that need to be made because... As baseball has had to make changes with the impact, right, that the shift had on it, right? They had to, had to make those changes, had to, had to update the game to go along with the times. NASCAR's got to find a way to balance strategy with the excitement of racing. And the question for NASCAR is not just how to do that, but how to do that without neglecting those who are your diehard fans your core fans you guys I've I've talked about this numerous times I've longed for the return of old-school NASCAR drama but how to innovate that in a way that respects the roots of the sport right while also pushing it into the future I I'm, I I don't know how to do that. Okay. Um, I can sit here and give ideas, but it's a delicate balance. And it's one that requires listening to the voices inside the sport, those who love it from the stands and the live their living rooms. Right. And, you know, creating those moments that last a lifetime. And it's why we fell in love with the sport in the first place. It, it, It is. And it's, Sad that we don't have many of these moments anymore, especially in what is, like I said, the crown jewel of NASCAR. So you guys, here is hoping that NASCAR can find a balance because at the end of the day, it's not just about the cars, the drivers, the tracks. At the end of the day, it's about the fans. They are the heart of NASCAR. It's what we always talk about. And what they deserve is the kind of racing not pacing that has made them fans in the first place, which is obviously edge of your seat, unpredictable, exciting, right? That's the essence of what Daytona is and super speedway racing is. And that's what needs to be protected and enhanced for the future of the sport when it comes to this type of racing. All right, you guys. So that was just some thoughts on... You know, kind of that my overview of the Daytona 500. I wanted to do it differently than just kind of saying you know just some observational up here. You go. Um, I I wanted to try to deliver that in a different different way, just because uh yeah I I just wanted to try something different. So hope hope you all enjoyed that. But yeah, you guys that we we've talked about it so much and Daytona is it's amazing. I mean it. This is the race. And there's so many things that have happened with Daytona um, that are upsetting, right? The There is no more speed weeks. And look, I get all of it. I, 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 under, I understand it. I understand the cost savings and, you know, all those different things. I get all that. But look at the truck race, for example, which we're going to get more into here later. All right, because that was an absolute clown show. And when you take drivers And you put them in these situations and they have little to no practice and this is what you end up with. And that's what we've seen with the Cup Series now. They hardly get any practice out there, right? It has now become this this strategy field, which I like strategy, but fuel strategy or fuel saving should be something that is done to take advantage of an opportunity. It should not. Be used to create the opportunity point blank end of story this happened with Ricky Stenhouse uh, yeah Ricky Stenhouse when I almost said Ricky Thornton but that's the dirt label driver Ricky Stenhouse when he won a couple of years ago right they cycled to the front because he had been saving some fuel he was able to take less fuel than everybody else out there got up to the front and was able to win and that that was a great move on their part But now everybody's doing it. And you hear, you know, Denny Hamlin or Bubba Wallace, these guys who've been on podcasts this week, talk about how there was points where they were at 20 or 30% throttle. That is absurd. When you've got the pack going two seconds slower than what they did for qualifying, there's something wrong with that. Now, I'm not saying they need to go out there and be wide open balls to the wall bouncing off each other for 500 miles. That would be stupid, okay? And I understand that with this type of racing, there's always going to be those low points because you you know, the old cliche is in order to finish first, you must first finish. I get that. Okay, I understand that. So, that's what are we going to do about it? What's NASCAR going to do about it? Okay. I've heard all of these different you know ideas uh don't throw cautions for the stages but still have them make this you know change change the length of the stages okay you know one simple thing that nascar could do all right and 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 it would fix i think a lot of the issues we see with these cars at a lot of tracks is we they got to get a handle on this tire the i don't understand why we still have why we're still having issues with tire i don't get it I don't get it. When you can put on a set of tires and literally run 500 miles at Daytona if you want to, right? Never change tires. Like, I don't, I know teams aren't, it's not what they're doing, right? They're not being like, all right, we're going to get 500 miles. But you could essentially, you could do a handful of pit stops and not even need to change your tires. That's, that's why these guys are focused so much on saving fuel is because you don't have to change tires. It's all about how long it takes to fill up that tank. How much fuel do we need to get to the end and how long is it going to take us to get that much fuel? And so you start this on lap two, right? Where these guys are already, they're already calculating backwards because that's what your engineers are going to do. That's what they're going to do. I'm not even an engineer. I know how that works. I don't need to be a scientist to figure out like, okay, so here's the deal. If we get X amount of miles per gallon and we're going to need X amount of gallons to make it to the end of the race. Well, how, how can I work this backwards? Right? It's, it's not a hard thing to figure out. And so that's what teams are going to do. Hey man, you're in the draft. Where's your throttle at this? All right, look, we're going to calculate when we stop at this point, how much fuel you've used. We're going to see how much we need it. It's really simple mathematics. And so if all you're worried about is how much fuel you've got to take on the last pit stop so you can get up to the front, well, my God, all you're doing is saving fuel the whole race. That's not racing. That's fuel saving. I don't mind when races end because of fuel strategy, right? If somebody wins because of fuel strategy, that is a part of it. But just like we saw years ago, you know, with baseball, and it's still like this to some extent, you basically have nothing but a bunch of batters coming up, right? The managers no longer even manage the teams. They're handed a folder every day from the general manager and their, you know, sabermetrics team, their statisticians who have put together their game plan. Here's who's pitching here. Here's who's doing this. Here's what batters batting where. And then get up there and basically swing for the fences. Try to hit home runs. Literally the opposite of everything you were taught as a kid, you know, all through, <laughs> all through high school in terms of baseball. It's always put it in play, make good contact, the home runs will come. Get to the pros, it's the opposite. Swing for the fences, get it up in the air. Because if you can get it up in the air, it just might get out of the park. So you got batters who are going up there and either striking out or hitting a home run. You got pitchers putting up insane strikeout numbers because one, batters are just swinging for the fences, and two, every every pitcher now, it's all about, you know, s- spin, rotation, right? What is the ball doing? Where are you, you got every pitcher going out there pumping 98 miles an hour and then they're pitching, you know, 5 innings. The days of that low-scoring pitcher's duel, those days are gone because you're not going to see it anymore. By the fifth inning, if they've gone through the lineup twice, they're out of the game. Right? That's no longer a strategy. That's the norm. That's my point. You know, if everybody does it and they do it all the time, that's not a strategy. That's the norm. This is what we're seeing now in NASCAR at these, these super speedways. The Daytonas, the Talladegas, right? It's not a strategy anymore. It's just what you do. It's the rule, not the exception. And for me, that's boring. It's, it, it's, it sucks. It makes what used to be one of my favorite days of the year, the Daytona 500, hardly watchable. And that's how I felt watching it. Now, I understand that with this type of racing, there's also a huge wild card aspect to it, right? This randomness where, you know, essentially it's, All right, can we just kind of dodge the wreck and and then survive to the end? And then if we can make it to the end, then we'll make our move. I understand that that was there before. And that also sucked. And this is why I don't think this fix is easy. It's not just a, hey, we got to get them to stop saving fuel and everything will be better. Because that's not the case. These guys don't save fuel. They're, what they're going to do is they're going to go out there and instead of pacing, you know, cruising around at 175 miles an hour, they're going to be cruising around two by two at 200 miles an hour and nothing's going to happen until the end of the stages and the end of the race. This pack style racing, this has been a debate for, since it started. It really has. And what we've seen with this next gen car it and this is what I understand they're two different cars, but I don't understand how the Xfinity series can put on these incredible races, right? They've got the package just dialed in on these cars, and then we get to the Cup car, and it sucks. It sucks now couple of reasons i think it is like that and look the last few laps obviously get exciting when we see these runs and stuff like that and pretty much that's gonna happen no matter what in this type of racing you're gonna have people who can who can catch a draft who can get a run and you know what i mean make moves and once they start dicing around once you got guys dicing around then things open up Okay, so that's going to pretty much happen no matter what the package is. But if you look at what the Xfinity what the Xfinity cars have versus like what we've got now in the the Cup series with the the Gen Seven, the the Xfinity car that that's what I want to see out of the Cup cars. Now, is that possible to do with the Cup cars? I don't I don't know. Right? I could tell you. If like, NASCAR gives me data, I could look at it, and, and I'm not even an engineer, and I can look at it and be like, well, I think this is possible, right? And I'm not even an engineer. I would think that smarter people would be able to look at that and be like, yeah, actually, we can do this, or yeah, we can replicate this. Because the Xfinity series, it's incredible. First of all, look at the drafting in terms of we call it this in sim racing, but the reason we call this in sim racing is because we got it from NASCAR, right? And you basically, they call it the bubble, right? The bubble, if you imagine when you are looking, right? So let's say you've got, you're in a, you're in a, you know, uh, let's look at Alex Bowman and and William Byron, right? Because those were the guys who finished one too. Byron's up in front of us and we're in Alex Bowman's car, okay? Now let's pretend for a moment that we are in the Xfinity Series cars. In the Xfinity Series cars, you have what's called the bubble. The bubble is essentially, imagine you've got a enormous exercise ball, right? Stuck to the back of Byron's car. So when we go up and we hit that ball, okay? That is essentially pushing byron's car forward without us having to physically hit byron's bumper all right that's when we talk about the bubble that's kind of what they're talking about you can give that guy a push without having to physically hit his bumper without having to physically push him which is one of the reasons why we see so many problems with these guys when you know like look at the the run byron got when when, when Logano and, and those guys, Cendric, I think it was another one, I can't remember who else, Chastain. When those guys started dicing dice around in front of Byron and Bowman, those guys kind of slow up. Bowman gets into the back of Byron. Byron starts wiggling. I know it doesn't look like much on TV, but when you're going 195 miles an hour, those movements are huge. He's sliding everywhere. And part of the reason why they're sliding is The fact that you have to be so close to one another, right, to get a run, you got to be physically pushing them. And then when stuff like that happens, you hit somebody's bumper at 195 miles an hour. I don't care if both of you are going like that. And you've got cars around you drafting in the turbulence and everything else. Things are going to happen. And obviously they did. That was, you know, pretty much the big one, right? We saw in the Xfinity series, when you have the bubble, right, you can give those guys that push without having to physically be pushing them. And what this can do is now, if something happens in front of you, you have a little bit more of a cushion. It's only a couple of feet, but let me tell you, a couple of feet is a big deal when you're going 195 miles an hour. All right. Now, when that person checks up, a couple of feet can let you check up. You've got more room, right? Things are going to obviously accordion, they're going to compress, but it's not where it is now, where You literally back off, and you're the person's in the back of you, okay, because you have to be so close. Another thing that we've seen with those cars is the fact that runs can be made much, much better. These next gen cars, they've got like, dude, they've got so much drag that. If you go to make a move by yourself, if you don't have a hell of a run, you're screwed. You're not passing anybody. You're just not. And keep in mind, that wasn't something that was happening all the time before with the old car, but it could be done. You could make moves. You could side draft. Now, when you... Yeah, you can side draft, but it, it's going to kill that speed. And if you don't take advantage of it immediately and all that person has to do is throw a lazy block on you because the, the run is nowhere near what it used to be. It's just it's just not good. OK, it's just not good. We've talked about it and it's just not good. So if you want to actually have this type of racing with this package be better, you've got to figure out a way to get some of the driving back into the hands of the drivers. Okay, this can't be sit back, cruise thirty percent forty percent throttle, save fuel, last ten laps, let's go, and then it survived the chaos because that's not racing that is literally a you know just more organized demolition derby, okay, like that that you know it's just, and look, I don't wanna be like you know Debbie downer or like Mr. Negative because at the end of the day William Byron won, won the last you know handful of laps it was a, a good, it was good racing it was exciting but unless nascar wants us just start making the daytona 500 you know a shootout i mean this is what we're going to see unless we can see some changes to the car because i don't know the current package just sucks i miss daytona when you had to handle the car actually had to handle and you saw drivers lift, right? It's not like, and when I say the lift, it's not like they were, they were getting off the throttle, getting into the corner. No, but they were working the throttle because the handling of the car mattered. It mattered, right? Talladega didn't really matter. It's like, yeah, you could just hold this thing wide open and that's fine. Talladega was its own thing. Great. It's also a lot wider than Daytona and you can, you can, that third line can get going at Talladega much easier than it can Daytona, but Daytona had handling and that was what made the Daytona 500 so much more special was not just the fact it's the Daytona 500, but it's also because you not only had to have a fast car, you had to have a good handling car, right? Now, handling wasn't everything, you know? But it was enough to where it made a difference. It mattered. And so unless we can freaking see some fall off with the tires, which we've been talking about forever, I don't get why this is such an issue. I don't. I understand safety, and I understand that Goodyear doesn't want to be blowing tires. But I don't get why they act like it's either tire that doesn't wear at all. Or a tire that blows out in five laps. They act like there's no middle ground. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't know what happened to Goodyear. What happened? Can someone please explain it to me? I'm open. I I, I want to know. Why is it that we went from this? It's like all of a sudden we've got this hard tire that is made out of graphite or carbon fiber or concrete or whatever, granite, and that just doesn't wear. And good it's like okay, we need a software tire, we need something that wears faster. And Goodyear is like, okay. And then they give us something. It's like that doesn't there's no change to that. Well, we can't go anymore. Well, why not? It's it's not like the next step means blowouts. I don't get it. I, I just I don't understand it. Like what is and I get the well, Goodyear, they pay money, and this is how they sell tires. Folks, who is watching the NASCAR race and going you know what those goodyear tires last a long time so i'm going to go buy my tires from goodyear for my my car who's doing that those days are so far gone this whole win on sunday sell on monday stuff that is so far gone that has not been the case in years and i'm tired of those arguments it's so stupid because it doesn't matter it doesn't now yes If we see Goodyear show up to the track three or four races in a row and every driver can't get more than 10 laps because the tires blow, then I'll start going, dude, what's up with Goodyear? But my God, like, can we get a tire that wears out after, I don't know, 50 laps at Daytona? Can we? Is that possible? Where it's got some wear on it? I I just like, there's like three tracks where we see the tires wear. And one of them's Darlington, like I don't, which was known for just destroying tires. So I don't get why we can't have a tire that just wears out more because I think that alone will make a huge difference. When tires start to actually wear out, handling becomes an issue. You've got to have a car that's balanced over the entire run. Therefore, we see handling becoming an issue. Those cars that aren't as good. Are going to start to separate from the pack even if they can hold on to the draft they're not going to be able to stay right up underneath the car in front of them we can see things spread out now if cars are now starting to spread out what now you got to decide well am i going to sit in back here and try to maintain fuel like do fuel mileage am i going to go to the extreme of saving fuel or am i going to try to stay up there with the lead pack right like the, the the strategies can change i think a lot can be fixed by just the tire and look I'm just a jackass in his office, right, talking. But I, we've over, since this next-gen cup car has come onto the scene, one of the biggest issues that we have talked about at nauseam is the tire, the tire that doesn't wear. So I don't understand why this can't be addressed. I don't get it. We've got two years of data in this car. What are we waiting for? I don't get it. So, anyways, that's enough on the Cup Series Daytona 500. Uh, congrats to William Byron. Exciting finish. I obviously I would like to have seen it go green the rest of the way. Um, you know, it's funny you got all these people talking about Daytona 499 and. And he didn't even have to finish the last. You know what? My favorite driver, Dale Earnhardt, he, he got the win racing, you know, coming back to the yellow, didn't have to finish. The, you know, the race didn't go the full, you know, full race, right? Because of the caution and stuff like that. I, it's just like, come on, man. Byron won the race. He got it. We can sit there. Shoulda, woulda, coulda, right? Bowman woulda got him or something. Who knows, right? Who knows? Maybe Bowman gets around him and then maybe Byron gets a run back on him. Who knows, right? So he got the win. Congrats to him. Um, pretty pretty incredible when you think about the fact that Byron got the win in the 24 car, 40th anniversary of Hendrick. You know, obviously you got all the, all the heavy hitters from Hendrick there. So that was pretty cool to see. Um, yeah, so hats off to him. Um you know real quick i will give I will give credit to NASCAR on them moving the race, doing what they did, right, getting the truck race and the arca race in, moving the cup race, and extending the race back. I do give them credit for that. hats off to them for that um on the weather, and you know I thought that they what they did for the clash, moving it up. I thought that they did an awesome job with that. I understand what you know it's not normal for them to move it a day ahead, but the storm that was hitting down there. And trust me, we were getting hit by it up here. Um, you know, they wouldn't have raced until like Wednesday or Thursday. So I, I think the last couple of weeks, I think NASCAR has done a good job with the weather and, you know, figuring out a way to get the races in around it. So I do want to give them credit on that for all the stuff I just talked about that sounded negative. I do want to give them credit where credit is due. So. Enough on the cup racing. Um, after the break, we're going to switch gears. I want to talk a little bit about this RTA deal um, with them bringing in this, uh, you know, antitrust lawyer um, because this guy is a heavy hitter. And what NASCAR's response to it is, uh, what NASCAR is doing, because I do think the writing is on the wall for what NASCAR is trying to accomplish, Um and I'll, I'll break that down for you by what I mean by that uh, when we get, when we come back after the break. And then we got some, some dirt track racing to talk about. So stick around. All right. So RTA had a meeting, and that is the Race Team Alliance. They had a meeting. They invited the NASCAR, right? Higher ups, bosses, whatever you want to call them, executives, um, and they declined. Uh, the, The, you know, the brass, the NASCAR brass does not want to meet with this RTA, with this alliance. All right. Um, This is very simply put. This is divide and conquer. NASCAR wants to meet with the teams individually. Okay. There is a reason for this. These guys are not dumb. NASCAR is not dumb. All right. Now, I've heard comparisons of, of this um, and I've heard people say like, well, you know, this I, I can't imagine, you know, the NFL team owners having a meeting and the commissioner blowing them off. Well, that it's not the same thing. OK, in the NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA, the commissioner works for the, the team owners. The team owners hire the commissioner. right? They, they the commissioner works for them. All right. It's not it's not like that in NASCAR. It's very, very different. NASCAR is privately owned. It's, that's, it's a family business. For all intents and purposes, it's a mom and pop shop. Like that's really what it is. Now it's that on a on a huge scale, right? On a national level, but that's what it is. It's owned and operated by the France family. So it's not it's not like the NFL where you've got these NFL teams, right? These team owners, and then they hire Roger Goodell to be the commissioner. That's not the case. So I understand, uh, you know, people trying to make that connection, but it's just, it's just a bad connection to make because it's just not the same. All right. Now I understand the RTA wanting the NASCAR brass to meet with them. All right. Especially when you've got this alliance. Hey, come meet. with We're having a meeting. Come meet with us. I understand NASCAR being like, no, we're not going to do that. I get that. Okay. I get it from both sides. I get it from the RTA's perspective. Hey, we're having a meeting. Come meet with us. Sit down with us. We'd love to talk. I get them wanting to do that. I get NASCAR side of it. We're like, no, sorry, man. We ain't going to do that because this is simple divide and conquer on NASCAR's part. NASCAR doesn't want to meet with the RTA. They don't want to face a united front. They just don't. They don't. Um, They want to meet with the teams individually, right? Because let's think about this for a second. When we look at the NASCAR teams, okay, you've essentially got a handful of what I would call the power players, which is your Hendrick, your Penske. RFK, right? Roush, Finwake, um You've got you, obviously Gibbs, 2311, um, and 2311 because of its association with Gibbs, obviously, Danny Hamlin and Michael Jordan. But, you know, and Childress, right? You've got six teams that I would consider to be like the power players, even though we obviously know that, yes, Stuart Haas is a, you know, they are a bigger team. They are a key partner with Ford. I get that, right? track house track house obviously key partner with chevy but in terms of being a power player i don't know if i would put them on the level of those other teams just for the fact that those other teams have been around longer right they've got more of a history so if you think about that nascar can look at that and say hey look man we can meet with these teams individually we can find out what these teams are looking for and essentially Now we can use a divide and conquer type of mentality, right? Because at the end of the day, this alliance is going to be built on the teams. The teams want these charters to basically become franchises. That's what they want. They don't want them to be a, hey, look, you've got this agreement for four years. After four years, we will revisit whether or not you could keep this charter. Now, I... I understand NASCAR, the teams, let me, I, mean, I understand the RTA wanting those to basically stay in effect. And look, if, if I was a team owner and I had to go out and I had to invest $40, $50 million for a charter, I want that investment to last me as long as possible. Okay? The, this is not chump change. Okay, we're talking 40 to 50 million dollars. And if these charters get essentially locked in for however long you as long as you own it, it's going to drive that price up even higher, which gives the teams something of value. You see, if the team owner sells a team. Right. So, for example, there are talks now because Front Row Motorsports is now going to become a key partner with Ford. Every manufacturer has three key partners. Ford, this will make four by adding front row. There's a lot of talk out there and rumors that Ford is going to be dropping Stuart Haas as a tier one or key partner. If that happens, I think Stuart Haas is going to sell off a couple of those charters. They don't need to have four charters. One of the reasons they have four charters is because they're essentially locked into four charters with their partnership with Ford. So they would get rid of a couple of them. If they get rid of a couple of them, they're obviously right. Like if like the charters don't exist and Stuart Haas wants to sell off, you know, two of their teams, what are you buying? Right? You're buying some equipment, you're buying some cars. But at the end of the day, you're there's not a whole lot you're you're gonna be able to sell as a team owner that's really of any value, right? If you've got a charter though, now you've got something of value. You're saying, hey, man, this is going to guarantee you a spot in the field, which then guarantees you a piece of the purse. That's huge because essentially that's an investment, right? When you start looking at, you know, stocks and, you know, that type of thing. And I've done, you know, financial trading and stuff like that for years you always hear them talk about, well, it's at a multiple of 20 times or something like that. Essentially, what they're talking about is what it's going to earn. And this is the price based on that X amount of times over. That's what you're talking about when you're looking at these charters where you can say, hey, look, man, this charter, we're going to sell it at X amount of money because it can yield you this amount of money based on the purse and the starts and you know yada, yada. You can go down. You can basically create a formula that says this is what this is worth. Now. Obviously, if you're Hendrick Motorsports, right, and you are, let's just say, colleague, Hendrick's charter is going to be probably worth more on the market than colleagues, even though they're exactly the same. It does not guarantee you any, you know, certain It's not guaranteeing you a top 10 purse, right? It's not guaranteeing you that, but it's guaranteeing you just the same portion of the purse based on where you finish. But when you look at it based on whose charter it is, that's where you can start getting it. That's where you start seeing the difference between, you know, perceived intrinsic value and all those different types like things like this. And I don't want to get into that because this is not an economics class. So I understand the teams wanting to do that. I understand NASCAR not wanting to do that. Right. Because what if some team comes in, gets it and now they're crap. And they're crap forever. And that's not what NASCAR was based off of. Right? That's not the case. Remember the days of when you used to have to show up and qualify to race? Right? You weren't guaranteed a spot. You had to, be, you had to qualify to get into the field. Not the case no more. Right? We've got that when we get more than, you know, the 36 cars, right? The 36 charters. But uh, how, how often is that happening? How often are we getting that, right? Where we've got more than, what is it, 40 spots? we got more than 40 cars showing up. We get that for what, Daytona? That's it? So I get NASCAR wanting to maintain some control over that because they want to be able to look at it and say, hey, look, man, you have underperformed. You have been a backmarker. You are literally showing up with the absolute minimum to maintain speed out there, and you're collecting a check. That is not what we want. So I understand NASCAR wanting to still have control over that. But see, here's the thing. I think that there is a middle ground that they can find and negotiate on. The problem is, is NASCAR doesn't want to give these teams a seat at the table. If they do this with the charger, Chargers, the Charters, they will have a seat at the table. This is not just about money. It's about money and power. Anytime you have power up for grabs, it's got the potential to get really, really ugly. And we saw this come to essentially fruition as the RTA, um, announced that they decided to hire Jeffrey Kessler, um, who is pretty much the top antitrust lawyer in the country. Um, I would I would call him the top antitrust lawyer in the world but that's just because I don't know of any other ones that are bigger than him. Essentially, he is called the Michael Jordan of lawyers, okay? So just to put that kind of in perspective, this is who they hired. This is the guy that got the NIL stuff passed for college for college sports, essentially college football and basketball. Okay? That that's big. All right, this is not some scrub lawyer. This is a heavy, heavy hitter. What they're going to do next, I don't know. I have no idea. Obviously, I'm not part of the RTA. I don't know anybody on the RTA. Nobody, nobody's sharing information with me. I'm getting my news just the way that you guys are. And then I'm kind of trying to read between the lines and put things together the best way that I know how and just give you my opinions on it. What I will say is with them bringing this guy on this is either i don't see this being a there's not going to be a middle ground on this what i mean by that is this we are going to either see this really swing in the into the uh the side of the the rta where they're you know this guy's going to come in and he is just going to start getting things done and we're going to see this deal passed and the RTA is going to end up with the seat at the table, which is what they want. And you know, boom, they're going to be happy. Um, Or we could see NASCAR really dig in and go get their, you know, lawyers. Right. I mean, and and it's going to just grind to a halt because now they're like, nah, they're going to feel even more threatened. And when people feel threatened, they don't think, rationally this is this is human psychology 101 you don't have to be a psychologist to know this stuff all right just think about people that you know and if if you if you attack them if you put them on the defensive it doesn't matter if you are if you are right it doesn't matter if they are wrong what matters is now they're on the defensive and that's what they do they defend their position we see this all the time on the track with these guys Right. I mean, all the time. I mean, think of last year's truck finale at Phoenix, right? You got Hosovar and uh, what the heck? Cram crew. I I can't even pronounce his last name. You got these two clowns bouncing off each other, right? One's retaliating after he got spun. And, and, hey, you know, you're going to defend your position, you're going to justify it while also saying, well, I wasn't trying to wreck them. I mean, come on, that was obvious, really? But it's, that's what people do. That's what people do. They defend their position. They're not going to just roll over and be like, you're right, we're wrong. That's not what, that's not what's going to happen. So it's going to be interesting to see how this goes. You know, I don't, people are like, well, the, the RTA's not talking about holding their own races. Well, I don't think they're going to do that. Do we really think the RT is going to come out and be like, you know what? We're not going to run this season, right? Let's just say nothing gets done and we got the, the summer race at Daytona. Do you think that is gonna come out and be like, yeah, we're skipping Daytona? We're skipping the the summer race at Daytona this year. Okay. Do you think they're really gonna do that? If they do, what's gonna happen is, is, is you're gonna have teams who end up showing up. Because they're gonna see an opportunity, because that's what Everybody is after. You always have to understand this about every human being on earth. Everyone, everyone is driven by their own self interests. When things get done for the collective, is when you can have those individual self interests align in a common direction. If you have teams who are like, yep, we ain't showing up, you're going to have other teams that be like, dude, we're showing up because we got an opportunity to really do well this weekend that's what's going to happen that's what's going to happen so i don't see that becoming an issue i don't see that happening um if if that does happen they've got way bigger issues so i know i'm just rambling on about this because i i find it so interesting just by the stance that we've seen on both sides And I understand both sides of it. I understand the RTA wanting to meet with NASCAR while they are together and united. And I understand NASCAR being like, nah, we're going to meet you guys individually because now you can go in there and you can start dividing and conquering. And make no mistake about it, NASCAR does not want to give up power and control to anybody, especially the teams. So something we'll keep an eye on throughout the remainder of the year. Moving on, let's head over to the dirt track side of things. I mean, we just had a lot of NASCAR news, but that's because we haven't really talked about NASCAR that much over the last uh, couple episodes. Um, and for good reason, mostly because it's been fairly boring. Uh, but we do have the Outlaws and High Limit both hit the track recently and kind of over the last couple of weeks uh so we're gonna dive into what we've had so far and what we're gonna have here coming up before we head into kind of our spring break we kind of kick things off and then die back down so we'll cover that here right after this next break stick around all right so we had uh, a couple of uh, dirt races happen the uh, it was probably two weeks ago now? Um really good racing, too. I I thoroughly enjoyed it. I know obviously we had the um uh Dirk Car Nationals at Volusia, uh 7th, 8th, 9th, and 10th, where we saw a lot of the high limit drivers running with the outlaws. These were outlaw races, but we saw high limit drivers there. Uh, it was actually Really, really cool uh, to see Brad Sweet pick up the opening win um, at Volusia. Uh, he had an awesome race. David Gravel came out one, night number two. Tyler Courtney got the win on night number three, another high limit driver. And then Sheldon Hodden Shield it out with a win on night number four. It was really good to see Sheldon get a win. Um, he has been, he's already looked like a different driver this year. Uh, he looked good when he was overrunning in um, Australia and came back and it just basically picked up right where he left off, got the win. He's been running really, really good. And I think part of that has been their move back to um, the, their uh, chassis manufacturers. Uh, they went back to a uh, J&J. Um, where they've been running maxims the last couple of years, and we saw them a massive fall off last season. I think a lot of that had to do with the tire. I really do. Uh, we saw some drivers just struggle with that tire last year. There were some guys who figured it out quickly. There were some guys who just did not miss a beat, uh, aka Brad Sweet. Um, as he popped off his fifth outlaw championship in a row. And then there were some teams that just they just seemed to struggle the whole year, just could not get things figured out. Hodden Shield was one of them. And they are off to a much better start. Now, really quick, uh, it wasn't all sunshine and roses for Hodden Shield. Um, he essentially he had the last night was a really good night. The other ones, not so much. You know, he got over those 4 days he had one top 10, one top 5, one win. Those were all it was all the same race. So had some tough luck there. Um obviously, you know, it's the beginning of the season. Um we see this happen with the uh with the sprint cars where they essentially start off in Volusia, right? Like it's like the first or second weekend of February run third car nationals and then they're off for essentially a month they don't come back until the first weekend in march where they're going to be back in volusia for bike week um they're going to run that the third and fourth of march and then they they they're they're back into the season all right then they're going to be at kennedale the Cowtown classic eighth and ninth then they go to the texas two-step 15th and sixth, and they're basically off and running they're they're up you know, full, full speed ahead running their season. Now on the high limit side of thing, like I said, it was cool to see sweet get the win on night one. It was really good to see Tyler Courtney also get a win with the outlaws because Courtney was another guy who had a good season last year, but remember he had that injury. It took him a while to get back. I think Tyler Courtney is a legitimate Contender for the High Limit Championship this year. I really do. Uh, he has started off fast. He looks good. And if you look at, um, you know, how he's run so far, right? It's been impressive. Now, obviously, night number one for High Limit at East Bay, Kyle Larson comes out, gets the win, um, which is just incredible that he's going to come out and get the win like that on night number one uh you had night number two at east bay saw once again sunshine got his second win on the year obviously first in high limit but a second win on the year um golden isles kicks off tonight we've got the deuces wild um tonight yes deuces wild tonight and then we've got the uh deuces wild finale on saturday right now obviously we're only two races in brad sweet is tied for the points lead with Corey day so yeah sweet tied with day right now tyler courtney in second brent marks third tanner thorson who has been impressive so far uh in his you know wing racing uh me I remember that was somebody um who when he had Declared that he was going to be running the full high limit schedule. I was kind of surprised by. Um, I didn't think he was going to um, do as well as he has done. Drivers who I would put up there as contenders for the high limit championship. I've got Rico right there. Um, It's I've obviously I've got Brad Sweet one. I've got my next three drivers are. Rico, Sunshine, and Corey Day, right? Like that, if I had to power rank them, that's what I'd put up. I'd put Marks up there too, Brent Marks up there as well, okay? So that would be like the five that I would have up there. Rico has gotten off to a very rough start, at least in the high limit races. Now he did did pretty good, right? But that was with the Outlaws. (laughs) He's running the full high limit season. So, you know, we'll see if he can kind of get the, the high limit side of things going. Um, but I'm sure he's going to, you know, it's just, that's, it's obviously it's way too early to tell both, you know, the seasons are so long for both series outlaws. They're running what 80 races or something like that. High limits running, you know, what is it? 60, 60 races or something like that. So, I mean, it's a long way to go, but yeah, just good to see some sprint car racing back. And yeah, it was uh, it was nice to see. Now, really quick on the USAC side of things, we saw Justin Grant come out, um, looked good, obviously um picking up the first two nights in Ocala. Then you had Logan Seavey, two wins at Volusia. Then they went back to Ocala. Grant gets another win followed by C.J. Leary, and then night number three got rained out. Now, they are done until April, which sucks. You know, the real offseason, I I would actually call now the real offseason. Now is more like the offseason than than actual winter, if you think about it for a lot of these guys. Because they wrap up the season for a lot of them end of October, beginning of November. You've got a few weeks off. Right. You've got the holidays, but a lot of these guys, they're they're going over. They're running Australia, New Zealand. They're running the indoor stuff. OK, right. You've got Chili Bowl and then they're back. And, you know, it's just a couple of weeks after Chili Bowl. They're all running down in Florida. And then after you've got Dirt Car National and stuff like that here, are the first couple of weeks in, in Florida, then you've got this long break that goes for you know, three, four weeks. So it's, it's so weird that these guys don't really have like an off season anymore. You know, USAC does. I mean, they go essentially, I think it's a month and a half. What was the last rate? Well, the last one got rained out. So February 16th was the last one that they had. And then their next race is, yeah, April 5th for the USAC sprints. Um, Midget wise, they don't get going until the end of April. They got a, a much longer wait. But personally, I would rather have that. I would rather do that on the USAC midget side of things, you know, don't start, then stop, right? Just get it going and, and go now. They off, they still have, they have a month long break, um, you know, in August, but that's whatever, okay. That's at the beginning of the year because it's hard to do that to me. It's hard to kind of get into the groove when you've got this, you run in February and then you've got this long break and a lot of times things get rained out. So yeah, whatever. Anyways. That's that's kind of the recap on the dirt side of things. Um, I would get into the late model stuff. We've had a lot of things happening on the late model side of things. That, a ton of it. I have not been following it though as as closely. I've just been so busy, and I've almost thought about doing um, kind of a a weekly dirt track recap, just separate thing that covers just the just the dirt side of things. Because yeah, I just, I just can't can't keep up with all of it, and I don't want this podcast to be three hours long. But I don't know, we'll see what happens. All right, you guys. So, Craftsman Truck Race. All right, now this was literally a masterclass on chaos. All right, it's just it, it was crazy. If you had thought last year's. Finale at Phoenix was a demolition derby. Well, then guess what? (laughs) The the truck series was not going to disappoint and they were going to pick up exactly where they left off, which apparently is chaos. Now, first of all, picture this, if you will. (laughs) The truck series director standing before the drivers right before this weekend and basically like warning them. Right, it's like, hey man, we got to do better. Like, what are we doing? We're not dumb. We're not eating. Like, what what is going? Let's get out there. Let's do better. And of course, that's not what happened. Right? Cut to the race. <laughs> Green flag drops, and by lap six, all hell is literally breaking loose. It's almost like the you know those kids. Like, if you tell them not to do something, well, then you might as well just give them the guidebook on how to do it. They're gonna do it now right? I used to be one of those kids. Hey, don't do that. Well, I wasn't going to, but since you told me not to, now I have to. That's like what happened with the truck drivers. It's like they all got together and was like, well, Dave, hey, you know, he told us not to. So, hey, let's go out and do it. It was a disaster. They literally set a record, 12 cautions. They ran, I think, like 49.5% of the race under caution. It's a hundred lap race. They ran like 49 laps of under caution. I mean, something insane. if their goal was to turn the truck race into a demolition derby at 190 miles an hour, they succeeded it was not racing it was survival it was like high speed game of chicken that makes you question the sanity of the drivers out there it was absolutely ridiculous and there were so many cautions it was like watching you know like an exciting thrilling movie but then having a freaking commercial break every 5 minutes see the nascar Fox broadcast for that i mean it just right when you start to think like all right here we go gonna get some race boom caution back to just cruising around under caution it was ridiculous and just the irony of it all right they have this embarrassing just ridiculous finale at phoenix where they literally just turned the speedway into a scrapyard. And then here we are, Daytona, right? The crown jewel. And it's like deja vu, except it's got more tire smoke and more wrecks. It's just ridiculous. And there you've got it, right? The, this, to just hammer the point home, you've got the director of the truck series saying, hey, man let's let's keep it clean let's do better and of course they go out there and not only do worse but they just destroy i mean they just failed in the most epic way possible it was so horrible that it makes you wonder like are these guys ever going to figure it out it, it just ridiculous and it's just a reminder that the truck series has become this clown show where you've got all these guys yes there are some experienced drivers out there yes there are some veterans and stuff like that but for the most part you've got a bunch of young kids who have just shown talent have some money right? And then they're driving way over their heads. And this is what we've seen with motorsports across the board. We've seen this across the board. It's happening everywhere, All right? You guys seen that what was he like nine or 10 years old in front of a dirt late model, right? Going to go out there and run. I think he's running like a 604 crate dirt late model. Like, dude, that's insane. That's ridiculous. Most of these kids are not prepared. You've got all these kids running the truck series, and that's what they are. They're kids, right? 19, 20, 21 years old. Sure, they've been fast, but that used to be the exception, not the norm, not the rule, right? The, the Kyle Larson's of the world, the Tony Stewart's, the Jeff Gordon's, right? Even back then, the Casey Canes and those, those guys who were these young phenoms, Those guys were exceptions. And what's happened is now we've seen it become this business where it's like, all right, these parents are going to fast track their kids to professional racing. And they're in go karts at five. They're running, you know, micros or legends at eight. They're in late models at 12. And by the time they're 16, they're trying to get pushed into a craftsman truck. And it's insane. It's insane. And what we get is this, what we saw. An absolute just clown show. One of the, it was ridiculous, dude. So ridiculous. One of the hardest watches I've ever experienced in my life. And that is not an exaggeration. That is the truth. It was horrible. And I can only imagine this next week in Atlanta, it's going to be the same, if not even worse. And that's too bad because the truck series that I grew up watching, I used to really enjoy. The truck series now is a joke. It's an absolute joke. Uh, (laughs) I don't know what else to do but laugh at it because I didn't think we could see a worse display than what we saw in the Phoenix finale. And it's like all those guys got together and be like, well, hold my beer. Let me show you. So I don't know what else to do, but laugh at it. Cause it's just, oh my God, it's so ridiculous. So anyways, you guys, that's going to do it all for this week. Thank you guys very much. Um, I really appreciate it, especially those of you who, uh, stuck around, um, after we've been off all these weeks. Cause I know that was, uh, it, it's been, it's been tough, but we're going to be back again every week. Um, we do have a lot of changes coming to the pod. I'm actually changing. One of the reasons we were off is because of what we were doing to, to the, to the house, quote unquote, my office. Um, uh, and I got some changes coming. We got some, some stuff. Uh, I'm going to be doing more consistently on the YouTube channel, um, actual separate just little things that I'm going to be posting on the YouTube channel once a week that they're not going to be from the pod. They're going to be in addition to the pod. So, um, you know, where I'm going to be just doing these quick kind of, you know, video on you know whether it's news of the day or certain races or whatever and they'll just be really quick you know less than 10 minute videos where i cover just like a single topic so i'm going to be i'm going to be doing those those are going to be coming really soon we're going to be having the video version of the plot where it's actual video not just you know like a, a thumbnail and audio to it like we got the actual video coming um trying to get keith all set up on that so so yeah we got a bunch of stuff coming and some more content coming to this along with the website. I got a new website I'm going to be putting together for this as well, where we're going to be putting up uh, some, some written content, um, not just like the transcript from this, from the podcast, but like some actual written content. So got a bunch of stuff coming. So make sure you are subscribed and follow and all that other good stuff to uh to stay up to date with it but yeah i want to thank each and every one of you guys thank you very much as always for joining us please download like follow share subscribe all that good stuff Uh, if you want to leave us a rating and review thank you very much to those of you who have already done that on apple and spotify i really appreciate it um you know like me and keith always say we're just two guys who love racing and like we just enjoy talking about it so it's definitely been fun. And to see this growing, even you know—even if it's growing slowly, it doesn't matter. It's still growing. And that's all that matters to us is that there's people out there who enjoy what we do. And uh, yeah, that makes us keep coming back for more. So we'll be back next week to do this all over again. And until then, as always, enjoy your weekend. Take care.